Welcome to Imperfect Action. Thanks for joining me today. And today really is a day of imperfect action. This is my second attempt at this intro because I just recorded the first attempt with the mute button on on my mic and obviously that didn't work so well. So we'll give it another go here. I'm excited to have you listen to this episode today. We've got Joe Miller and Joe is the CEO of Be Leaderly. She's an authority on women's leadership and she's the author of the book, Women of Influence, Nine Steps to Build Your Brand, Establish Your Legacy and Thrive. We have a great conversation and really get into a lot of different things. She discusses how she overcame her fear of public speaking to become a professional speaker and how she built up her speaking business, how she went about finding strengths that she didn't know she had. Can you relate to that? The idea that there is power within us that we may not recognize ourselves, but maybe others around us see, or maybe they don't see it yet, but how do we find that and tap into that? She talks about what people tend to get wrong about women in leadership and how to uncover the type of leader you are so that you can amplify your strengths. And in doing so, how do you shift your personal brand to a leadership brand? And then we talk a bit about how people tend to get in their own way. And she shares the idea that so many people do a really good job and end up becoming the best kept secret in their organization. How do you become known within your own organization? How do you not just be a great person behind the scenes, but be a great person with visibility, a great person that other people recognize your strengths? So please listen to this episode, comment on it, and really share it with others who would benefit from Joe's message. Now, Joe is an expert in women's leadership, but everything that we talk about on this show today really applies to everyone, all walks of life who are in leadership roles, want to be in leadership roles or just want to increase the level of influence in their own life, even if it's not in a formal leadership role with a job title around it, but just those who want to lead better. In the past couple of conversations, if you haven't caught them, we had Ellie Weinstein talking about mental health. He's a therapist. I was really excited to have him on because I don't think mental health gets talked about enough, and I don't think he gets talked about in the right ways to be productive. And so I'm excited to have him on and start digging into it. And then before that, we had Stefan Bramble, and he really talks about finding your voice, your authentic voice, and bringing that out. So great conversations. And uh, anyway, I'm excited to share this episode today. Let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. Today's guest is Joe Miller. Joe, really excited to have you on the show. Tell the listeners just a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, what a pleasure it is to be speaking with you again, Brock, after all these years. It's it's so great to reconnect. Um, So hi, everyone. I am um, an Australian living in Iowa via California. So if you're wondering about the accent, it's Australifornia, Iowan. Um, And I, uh, for the past uh, almost 20 years, have been um, a a women's leadership coach and speaker and most recently author of a brand new book called Women, called Woman of Influence. Um, should probably help if I get my own book title right. Um, but what that means is I travel around the country and sometimes around the world um, working with women in their corporate careers to help them advance themselves to their next level of leadership in their career. 
So what, one of the trends that I've noticed about guests on the show is that most people end up in careers with job titles that if they had told their high school career counselor about it, you know, it, it didn't exist. Um, no one would have heard of it at, at that time. And so how, how did you end up being a woman's leadership coach? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. And by the way, I not only my high school careers counselor, but my high school self would not have believed uh, not only that this job could exist, but but really more to the point um, that I would be capable of doing it. Because if you told me back then, you know, my 15 year old self, that I would one day do public speaking for a living, I think I probably would have died. Like my heart literally would have stopped <laughs> because I was the person who, uh, you know, when we went away to camp and a Wednesday morning um, on the agenda, it said public speaking skills. Brock, I pretended I was sick and stayed in bed all day because I did not even want to be in the room where public speaking was being discussed. Um, but so I, I had a brief corporate career myself and, and kind of had a, a big crash and burn where I was like super, um, like super ambitious and made it known that I wanted to step up and lead and yet um, was offered exactly the role that I wanted to sort of, sort of be groomed into a reg regional leadership position. Um, but turned it down after campaigning so hard for the role um, because I didn't feel ready, but also because there was just such horrendous office politics in the team that I would be volunteering to step up and lead. And it, it had me take a step back and start reading books and I actually hired a coach myself at that point. And long story short, found, found that so impactful that I ended up quitting my job and becoming a corporate SKP probably three months later to go become a coach and start a coaching business. And um, I met you along the way pretty early on in that journey, but I, I figured out that I was not necessarily the best, most patient one-on-one -on -one leadership coach. Um, for I, I just didn't really love to sit and troubleshoot with individuals through their, their, their issues and challenges, but I loved to deliver content and I loved to create training content um, specifically around the types of challenges that I'd come up against in my corporate career. Um, so that's kind of how I, how I maneuvered onto the path that I've been walking for the past 15 to 20 years. So you're a public speaker who is terrified of even the thought of public speaking and a coach who found that your best work isn't one-on-one -on -one as coaching is typically done. Um, so I love paradox. So, you know, that I, how, how did you make that transition from, you know, hiding under the bed sick to being able to be a speaker, be a coach, get out in front of people and, and not just give a speech, but to deliver content in a way that inspired others to go make changes? Ooh, you know, I, and I think it's in a way that many of us find our strengths and strengths that we didn't even know that we possessed. And it was because I, I was asked to lead a, a coach training for kind of the next wave of coaches that, that went through their training after me. Um, and I kept getting incredible feedback uh, that that they they loved how I delivered these teleconference trainings and people just couldn't wait to meet me in person. Um, and then I did actually meet one one gentleman who I had been coaching who was a trainee one day and, and we went for a walk one day in New York City and he said, you know, Joe, you come a, a across with such incredible 
presence as a trainer and a facilitator in these teleconferences, but you don't kind of show up that strong and powerful in person. And he said, what would it take to bridge that gap? And it just stopped me in my tracks and, and had me think, wow, if, if I could just, if I could accomplish that, it would mean the world to me. So I just started working on it, accepting every opportunity to stand up in front of a group, <laughs> you know, kind of face the fear and work, work through it. And, um, you know, first big speaking gig I get, I, I, I got was for a big investment bank in New York city. And I pretty much didn't sleep for two nights before. And I remember thinking if I could just die in the night, then I wouldn't have to get up and speak in the morning, but somehow I got through. And, you know, as you know, that, that which we practice, we eventually become more competent at. This may be kind of a side path, but I'm really curious, how did you get the gig in New York doing this big speaking event when it sounds like you weren't mentally quite ready to to do that speaking event, but somehow you got the business? That's a really good question. And I, and I think sometimes the universe gives us a big push, but I think they had mistaken me for someone that had been on the Oprah show or something like that. But it was something I wanted to do. So I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't redirect. <laughs> I, I didn't let the facts get in the way of that and took the gig anyway, and just hoped like crazy that, that I'd be able to deliver. Well, you know, I, I know you, you mentioned that, you, you know, just, just wrote a book and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit, but I'm curious, so your own journey, so you left the corporate world, you described yourself as a corporate escapee, you know, got some training, kind of found this strength that you didn't know you had, the skill set. What was the journey for you there as an, as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner to kind of, you know, what, what were those early years like for you? You know, again, kind of interesting because it took me a while to find uh, my strengths as a trainer and a speaker and facilitator as opposed to the one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so I think the first few years were, were really quite a struggle, but there was kind of this breakthrough moment where I realized that if I could become better as a speaker, I would be, you know, earning revenue, but doing my marketing at the same time and, it, it, you know, just to like a, like a twofer. Um, and so I figured that that would probably be the easiest way to start to build up a business. Um, so I, like I said earlier, I just started going after every possible opportunity to speak and get in front of an audience. And then there was a couple critical, um, engagements that I got. And I, I remember these organizations, they're so dear to my heart, even to this day, and I'm still working with both of them. One was the Society of Women Engineers. Um, one of my individual coaching clients referred me to them and they hired me and just gave me a room with 50 people and said, go do whatever you want for a half day. And I'm, I'm still speaking at their conference annually to, to this day. And then about six months later, um, the Grace Hopper celebration of women in computing did the same, but this time it was with 400 people. And again, you know, we're, we're still working together um, as partners to this day. And so it was just kind of, I think, being ready to step onto the stage, speak to larger groups, but also this beautiful synergy of being able to make my living, but also do my marketing at exactly the same time. Along that journey, so you mentioned that you had, um, well, you, you, you mentioned you, you wrote a book and remind us of the title that you said you got wrong initially. So give us the right title. You know, I'm just going to pick it up and read it off just to save further embarrassment. So it's called Woman of Influence, Nine Steps to Build Your Brand, Establish Your Legacy and Thrive. 
Nice. So, I mean, there's a lot that we can go into there and, and you know, a lot of things that, that I'm really curious about. Um, so first off, why, why even write the book? Writing a book is not an easy process. You know, I, I think one writer, it may have been Hemingway, described it as, you know, you just basically open up a vein onto the page and bleed all over it. Um, you know, kind, kind of a gory graphic <laughs> description of the process. But I know enough people who've written books. I know it's not an easy thing to do, especially when you have a thriving business. You have other things you could be doing with your time. So what, what was kind of the inspiration there? Um, you know, and I think the the first was that I'd, I'd built up this body of knowledge over the past, say, 15 years delivering these programs that I was really passionate about helping women in, in a very um, kind of roadmapped way, a step-by-step way, advance their careers and break into their next level of leadership. And it, it got to be a little ridiculous that, that time and time again, people would come up to me after these programs and go, this is great. Is there a book I can read? And I was recommending all sorts of other people's books that, that none of which were quite <laughs> ideal for this situation. And, and so there was just the, the embarrassment and the public humiliation of, of not having my own book to, to recommend. But then this other thing happened, which was that I was, I was staying with my mother-in-law who um, before she retired, was the director of education for a large uh, hospital system. And she has every leadership book that, that you can imagine. And so it was just such a joy to just randomly pull something off the shelf and read, you know, all these, all these great career and leadership books. Um, but there was one particular one where uh, um, it, there were 11 examples um, in the first few chapters of the book of like great leadership and all the, the right things to do. And it was all men. So, you know, a, an example of a male followed by a male and another male. And then we got to the cautionary tale of what not to do. And you guessed it, it, it was a woman. <laughs> and I remember just picking the book up and throwing it across the room and then remembering it was not my book and it was not my room <laughs> and then apologizing to my mother-in-law. Um, but that started to happen a lot as I started to look out for, for those instances. And I think my husband and my cat just learned to duck whenever they could see a book flying. Um, but it really gave me that push that if I, you know, if I care about seeing women's stories, um, you know, hearing examples from women in leadership and their tips and their trials and, um, and, and the path that they've walked, then I, I really need to be the one to write this book. What do people get wrong about the idea uh, of women in leadership? And, and you, you know, so you mentioned one example that you know it's basically just <laughs> they, they don't do this example in the, in the book. But you know, I can think about this from several perspectives, from organizations, from other leaders, and, and even from the, the women themselves in their role. What what do you see that people get wrong, or that you wish people knew? Um, you know, and, and I think a, a lot of it is just the framing. It's not necessarily that the principles themselves are poorly intentioned. It's just framed up as, you know, if women would just understand this and do this differently. So, so much of, of what you read and hear is about fixing women and telling them what they're doing wrong. Um, you know, so I think what, what I see is that we get so focused on trying to fix out weaknesses that, you know, we forget to nurture our strengths and, um, and build careers around our, our passions and, and what we're great at. Um, so I, I think, you know, part of my approach and, and where it's different is just to say, your 
probably already much more of a leader than you think. Let's help you uncover what type of leader you are and amplify those strengths and find ways to, to put those to work in ways that have your organization, you know, sit up and, and pay close attention to, to what you're doing. So I think directing the conversation around trying to fix women um, to, to amplify what they're already doing that's truly great is, um, as you can tell, something that I'm really passionate about. So that's definitely a big one. Um, and I think the other one, as I alluded to earlier, is just that women's stories aren't told nearly often enough. And so there's this whole representative, this whole experience that's not represented in, in a lot of our leadership literature, especially, um, you know, women that are minorities and women of colour. You know, we just don't have enough of their stories to, um, to, to read and pay attention to. And there's probably a really big answer to this question, but I'm curious, from your experience, why is that? Why don't we hear these stories more? Oh, you got me there. I, I, we could spend a whole other hour. I, I think there are people that have done a lot better research <laughs> into this than I have. I just see myself showing up to be the conduit for those stories. All right. Well, wait, speaking of the conduit for those stories, so um, is there a typical place that you find uh, people get stuck, you know, kind of on this leadership journey? You, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes they get so busy focused on fixing their weaknesses that they totally miss their strengths. Uh, are there other just, I know everyone's different, but are there other typical places where people get bogged down or in their own way? Um, yeah. So, so one that I, I noticed a lot really early on doing this work was, uh, you know, the, the woman I would call the best kept secret in the organization, you know, like she's got these amazing strengths and is delivering phenomenal work and, and results and, um, and is really kicking butt in her role. And yet no one knows she's the invisible employee, or as I like to, to call her the best kept secret. And so what happens is, um, you know, a lot of women kind of wake up five or even 10 or more years into their career, realizing that they've got stuck as the pooper scooper, you know, the one who's, who, you know, kind of the little action items get dumped on and they're the only one that's willing to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty and fix the messes. Um, but those aren't promotable tasks and, and being indispensable for doing that kind of work won't move your career forward. Um, and so I see a lot of women getting kind of stuck in the low visibility pooper scooper type role. And, and so one of the core themes in, in my book is how to develop a leadership brand for yourself. So how to take your personal brand and translate that into a leadership brand. So kind of up level how people perceive you. So you're not just attracting more of the old task and, and, and roles and responsibilities that, you know, you were thrilled to do five years ago, but you're attracting those next level leadership opportunities that are really going to showcase you and put you on the map. So the little bit of a conundrum there uh, in, like you mentioned, you know, so earlier in the career that that may have been great things, uh, but now maybe isn't serving. And, and I'm paraphrasing heavily here, Joe. So correct me if I get any of this a little bit off, but um, what, how do you recommend that, that people change their brand? Because it's not like, Hey, start doing a terrible job in these things that, you know, you've been typecast in, you, you did great work, you got typecast. How do you, what can people do to break out of that typecast? I'm so glad you asked. There's this great book and it's nine steps 
and it's about 62,500 words. So I'm going <laughs> to try and... <laughs> try and condense it down into the, the core nuggets. But I, I mean, I think the first thing is just to remember, yes, you have a brand. Everyone has a brand. Um, but for most of us, that's built by default, not by design. And and so um, shifting your brand is certainly not easy and it takes time and focus, but it starts with knowing your strengths and getting feedback on what those are, if, if necessary. Um Identifying what I call your leadership niche, which is, um, you know, it's, it's that concept that every career coach knows, you know, what are your strengths as a leader? Um, what are you passionate about in your work? But also what can you provide as a leader that your organization really needs and values? And I call that your, your leadership niche. Um, and once you know those things, you've got kind of the platform, the foundation, um, but then I encourage readers to think about, okay, that's what you're good at and known for today. Let's project out into the future and up level. What do you want to be known for maybe three years from today and, and start to make yourself known for that? And I, and I have people come up with a catchy leadership brand statement that concisely describes to people who they are and what they want to be known for. Um, but then really it's things like shifting your mindset from, from doing to leading and having your actions and behaviors show that you're more of a leader and less of a doer. Um, and then, and then this is probably really critical for that woman who's the best kept secret or the pooper scooper go after those high profile opportunities or roles or assignments that showcase that brand and put you in the spotlight and, and meanwhile, find ways to diplomatically step away from the lower level pooper scooper type tasks. Um, you know, so those are the things you want to showcase and, um, and, and, and really promote about yourself. You know, one of the things that I, I think is a disservice that we do people who, who move into leadership roles is no one ever tells you that kind of that first step into leadership is probably one of the toughest career transitions there is. Because leadership is a completely separate skill set. You know, it's a distinct skill set that the skills and talents that they excelled at and that got them promoted are probably not those leadership skills. So they still need their old skills, but they need this new skill set too. And you just mentioned somewhere that it's not just a skill set, but that there's also a mindset shift in how you use those skills that where before you used to excel and what you got, got you promoted was excelling at doing and now suddenly, well, what you really need to be doing is leading, getting that work done through other people who, frankly, probably aren't as dedicated, talented, driven as you are. And, you know, that, that's totally different. And so how do you help people approach just that mental transition from, yes, there's this thing you're really great at and you probably shouldn't be focusing on that anymore and you should be focusing on this other thing that... Um, you may not have those skills for yet, or they may not be well-developed yet. Yeah, it's, it's a, I, I think you're right. It's one of the toughest shifts for anyone to make in, in their career. And, and by the way, I, I don't define leader just as uh, only as someone who's managing people, managing teams, leading businesses. I think that we can all be leaders at any point in our career, but the principle is the same, you know, what got us here won't get us there. And so there's always going to come a point where the things you let go of 
you know, the tasks and the responsibilities you let go of can potentially define you more as a leader going forward than the things that you take on and say yes to. So, you know, part of it is just looking at um, what are the things that have had you be this successful um, that you might need to let go of, or they might hold you back from, from where you want to go from, from here. Um, and so I, I actually, I interviewed quite a lot of women about um, what are the, the core competencies that they most admire in people who aren't necessarily yet in a leadership role. So people who step up and lead without authority, you know, what are the skills that top level leaders most admire um, and, and kind of boiled it down into a, a list that I like to call um, the shift list because it's about transitioning from shifting from doing to leading. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite parts in the book because I get to travel around the world now telling people to get their shift together. Um, so I've got like five different shifts and it's things like from doing to delegating and tactician to strategist, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so hopefully what I've done is break it down into not only the core mindset shift, but some real specific things people can do to, you know, to make shift happen. <laughs> well, what about at the other end of the career, you know, that you, and I, I don't know how typical this is, but I just imagine that, you know, you kind of hit that point in your career where if you haven't gone further, you're probably not going to go further, or at least it gets a lot harder to make that leap. Um, and I, you know, I, I would imagine that can happen at anywhere along the career life cycle. So basically, you know, people find themselves stuck. They, they've moved along, they've developed, and now they feel just kind of stalled out. And I may have kind of over-described this and made it more complicated than it actually is. But is there a way that, that women or, or anyone in a leadership role can kind of get unstuck or, or move past kind of that stall-out point? Hmm. That, so that's really interesting. Um, oftentimes when I'm describing what I do, people say, oh, so you work with young leaders. And I have to say, no, that's not necessarily the case because for women, their careers can unfold very differently in that I've had conversations with women who are in the last five or 10 years of their career. So, you know, they're approaching retirement age. And now for the first time, they have... Um, the energy and, and the bandwidth and the time to invest in themselves and see where they might go from here. And, and so I've had a lot of these types of conversations where people assume, you know, I'm never going to move further than, than I am today. I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to advance or even, you know, just be able to have a bigger impact. And, and so I think the, I mean, the principles are the same, no matter what point we're at in our career. Um, there's always more impact we can make if we're willing to kind of step back and look at what there is to let go of and what there is to do more of or do differently instead. And, you know, I, I think we're also growing in our strengths and our strengths are shifting, um, you know, based on the phase of life or career we're at, but also what our, our organizations need from us. So I think there's always room for someone, no matter what, um, phase of life or career to just come back and re-inventory their leadership strengths, look at whether their personal brand is fully supporting their career goals and aspirations, or if those two things have gotten out of sync um, and, you know, see where they, where they might go from here. Well, so you know, you've told a little bit uh, about um, your story and, and by the way, I, I appreciate that answer. I really like it. I, uh, 
Chip Conley was a, a guest on the show and he talks about the concept of modern elder and just the idea that there's so much mentoring that can be done from those who have been there and done that. Mm. And that it, it may look different than <laughs> um, it did in the past, but you know, how, how can you still contribute? How, how can you bring all that knowledge and all that wisdom that the organizations need and not get it stuck on the back burner, not get typecast into a role, but really able to bring it forward. Um, so a- anyway, I, I love the idea of just taking stock of our lives of being able to reassess, you know, am I contributing the way I want to? And if not, what should I be doing? How could I do this? And we could spend a lot of time talking about that. So I'll move, I'll move us on to, to another question here, but how do you respond to people who, and maybe you don't get this, but, but I'm just imagining that there's a percentage that, that might come up to you and say, you know, Joe, that this sounds fantastic. Uh, you know, love your story, love your journey. I love the stories you've been sharing about other leaders, but you know, you know, um, that's not me. Um, you know, my, my circumstances are, are different. I just could never do that. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, we all are on our own journey, right? <laughs> and I don't think any one of us has the be all end all solution. That's, that's kind of a one size fits all. So, um, you know, if the person really seems to be stuck or, uh, you know, is, 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 is really hitting a roadblock or hitting a wall. Um, I still love to spend a few minutes chatting with them to see if I can help understand, you know, how they might get unstuck and, and refer them to someone who might be, you know, more of a better fit in terms of the book to read or, you know, like yourself, your, your amazing podcast that they can come listen to um, and find exactly the resource that they need. But yeah, if, if someone's not looking for the type of advice or help, I'm, I'm not going to try and sell them a book or a workshop or anything like that. Well, you know, and, and I'm also thinking about the type of people who, who want that, but, um, you know, can say, well, well, Joe, you, you had advantages that I didn't have or situations or not just you, but, you know, kind of these other leaders that you talk about. Um, you know, I, I find that so often we get in our own way thinking that uh, our circumstances are, are so special and so unique that, um, you know, there, there's no way we could move around them. Um, how do, how do we help people move around? Maybe that's just a belief that's, that's blocking us, you know, that yeah, sure, that I, person's I, amazing, but I can't do that. Right. I, I mean, I think I'm guilty of this. I think we all are that we think that our pain points and, and roadblocks are so unique and special, <laughs> but really, uh, um, you, you know, there's, there's, there's always, um, someone who's stood in similar shoes. And, and I think um, I, this comes back to, I think, one of the reasons that it was so important for me to interview a wide range of, of women leaders that I was inspired by. And they come from a, just an enormous range of, um, of professional backgrounds and industries and diverse personal backgrounds. Um, and, and just to be able to tell some of those stories, Nithya Ruff, for example, who's um, ahead of open source with with Comcast now, came to the United States knowing no one. She came from India. She landed in Fargo in North Dakota to go to college and the courage that it took to 
to do that has just taken her to amazing places in her career. And, and I think the more we can tell these unique and interesting stories, um, you know, the more we can help people connect with just the right example or inspiration that they need to go, okay, I'm not alone. And, oh, maybe I can, you know, take a couple baby steps to move forward. Well, so as we start ra- wrapping up here, Joe, I still have a couple questions for you. And so, you know, my daughter is 18 years old, freshman in college, and just, you know, early, early stages of career, kind of the pre-stages of a career. What advice do you have for that generation when you think of, you know, just kind of the, the, the women coming up who aren't even leaders yet and may not even be thinking down that path yet because they're so early in their career? Um, how how can they set themselves up for success in the future or, or what should they be thinking about now? Oh, I love that question. Um, and so, so I think one of the things to, to know is that, um, Oh, who was it? Oh, Cindy Pace. One of the, one of the women that I interviewed in my book, Cindy Pace, who is the head of diversity and inclusion with MetLife, the insurance company said, um, leadership is an action, not a position. And, and so if we take, um, that definition of leadership, of course, you can be a leader at any moment you choose to, even if you are, you know, the newest person in, in your company, you know, you can be the intern and show leadership when you know that leadership's an action, not a position or a role or a title. And, and I, so I think that's one thing to, you know, to, to lead from where you are, um, no matter, you know, where, where you're trying to lead from. And the other is to, I think, recognize that there's more than one type of leader. And typically, um, you know, typically we, we think of the people leader type as being the only type of leader that there is, you know, the person that's great with rallying a team and, and building up people and building up organizations, but that's only one type. And, and I think everyone else, every other leadership type um, sort of got into this way of thinking that, oh, I'm not really a leader. And so one of the messages I love to get to people, um, women and men early on in their careers is to figure out what type of leader you are and, and, and then, you know, try to lean heavily into that and encourage others to see the value. You may be a people leader. If so, that's great. Be that, run with it. Um, do it in a way that adds incredible value to your organization. But you might not be that style. You might be a change leader or a service leader or a thought leader or a results leader. And so, oh, and or you, you might also be a mashup as well. Um, so figure out what type of leader you are are and try to maneuver into um, situations where you get to demonstrate that in a way that others are going to notice and value. I love the answer there. And, and so, well, as we wrap up here t- today, Joe, uh, where can people find you? So you, you mentioned the book, but where can they find you beyond the book? Um, JoeMiller.com. Excellent. Well, that was easy enough. Um, <laughs> So one question I always ask my guests is how can the listeners help you out? Like you do all this for people. How can they help you? Oh, thank you. Thanks. Look, um, if what I have said resonates um, with where you're at today, by all means, um, you know, buy a copy of the book and work through the chapters. And, uh, you know, the best of my thinking for the past 20 years is in there um, as a guide. And I met it, you know, to really help you move forward and, and show your brilliance to the world. Um, and and look, if 
that's not you, perhaps you know someone in your life, you, you know, maybe it's that daughter, that niece or your mom or um, your mentee uh, who you see being the best kept secret in the organization or just wants to start their career out on the best possible trajectory. Um, you know, think about getting a copy of the book for that person. All right. Excellent. Well, Joe, it has been fantastic to reconnect. So happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brock. It's been terrific to reconnect with you too. 